0: And back to a show that's cooler than the other side of the pillow. It's the Thrive Time Business Coach Show.
1: It's the five time show on your radio. Get it on the broadcast till the podcast down low. We'll teach you the moves to make your business grow. Well. Provide you the fuel to make you want to go. Whether you're a startup or a big time baller, we'll teach you the systems to increase your dollars. Google optimize, sales multiplies. We cite it all so we n- never lies. Pitch yourself It's a truth, not a fable. My name is Clark, but I ain't Clark Gable. Next to me, it's Zee on the on stables. And you can too if you unplug the cable. <laughs>
2: can own stables if you unplug that cable well i have done that so stables are in my future have you unplugged your cable oh yeah years ago
1: you know the thing is i think a lot of people out there don't realize the these statistics i'm going to put this on today's show because the statistics out there are really really awful according to according to to, uh, nielsen the average american sean now sean you this is an ask me anything format here so you can ask me anything but first i'm going to i'm going to ask you some tough questions okay how many hours a day do you think the average american is watching tv right now Mm, it's got to be
3: like four
1: five point two 5.2 hours now the average american is also on social media for two point i think it's 2.3 hours a day chap too long i try to block out these statistics that i keep memorizing but as a result of going over them all the time but so you think about how i mean how is it dr Sibley, how could you possibly have success if you're watching tv 5.2 hours a day and you're doing social media for 2.3 hours a day i mean how could you do it you don't have any time to work your plan. So you won't have success. Is that possible? It's not possible. Okay. So what I'm going to do is, uh, Chuck. I'd like for you to adjust uh, Sean's microphone. Get him in the athletic position. Get him ready so he can ask us any questions. Now, here's how it's going to go. Sean has to ask us questions in rapid-fire succession, and he can ask the question to any of the three of us. He can ask the question to Dr. Sibley. He can ask the question to Eric Chubb. But you can ask any question at all, except you can't – this is the thing. This is the thing. You can't ask about my – a step-by-step uh, procreation guide that i'm working oh, okay. on on how i created five <laughs> humans right. and it's a, you can't ask about that it's too early to get into it sure. and the drawings aren't done yet i don't want you to ask about I, you can't see any of the drawings it's a step-by-step guide on how to produce a family of, of five kids and i'm you, you can't talk it's too early to talk about it i think that's for the best. we're gonna keep it private between me you all the listeners you said private <laughs> yeah right okay so anyway now now we come out of the gutter here so go ahead for uh, mr mr sean what are your questions
3: okay uh so earlier this week uh, you were talking with me and uh, clay stairs in yep. a coaching meeting and you had talked about there being two different types of learners out there yes experiential learners and text learners so I'm curious, uh, how do you? Because uh, I'm working with clients now, and you're trying to help people. How do you figure out how to what type of learner a client is? Well, first off, I'm going to pull
1: up here uh, a picture of uh, Benjamin uh, Franklin, right, and our, on, the, on the big screen, I'm going to pull up a notable quotable here, so you get the quote right by behind you. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, if he were here today, he, could, he couldn't be here, Chuck, because he's dead. That's a bummer. Yeah, but but when he was alive, though, he invented the bifocals. He invented the bifocals. That's not- I'm not impressed. The Franklin stove i'm not okay. impressed no. the lightning rod which helped prevent fires i no, i'm, I'm yeah. kidding yeah. did you know that he negotiated with the french and convinced the french that they hated the british more than they hated us because the french really didn't like the colonists either but they hated the british more so he's like listen if you'll fund us we could beat your enemy think about this we could we could work it's like how the america hired the communists to beat the nazis we hated the nazis And we hated the communists, but we really hated the Nazis. So we teamed up with the commies to beat the Nazis. So Benjamin Franklin was a great diplomat, a great inventor. He had a skull, A great author. He the inventor of the skullet. (laughs) It's an unbelievable hairstyle. It's like the mullet, but no lettuce on top. He says, tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember. Involve me and I learn. So I would say this to all, all listeners out there. Everybody I've ever met... Is a learner who learns by one being told, being you know taught, being told. The second is by being involved, like interactive, engaged. So this is how I have be, have learned to learn, uh, to, how I've learned to. Uh, acquire knowledge through text so over there on my desk uh, Chup I think we have the Chip Gaines book maybe Marshall can b- pass it over to you there but this is the, the Chip Gaines book so this is how I read books this is how I devour books so this is just one book here that's not uh, quite fully devoured yet but it's very close to being devoured I think it's on the. is it on the is it on the desk there Jeff do you see the capital maybe it's over there by the the boxed wine I think it's by the boxed wine there do you see it? To, to the left we're going there it is yes uh, I think we see oh guys, here it is so this is how I uh, learn through books okay so I've read the book the book is called Capital Gains by Chip Gains pretty clever and I uh, love the book a lot now I open up the book and as you open up the book I take notes as I read you know as I go through it so like here's an example I tabbed this and I put tabs on it too so I've read the book taken notes everywhere but then he talks about um, basically certain life lessons in the book and I want to learn from it and I know that I'll forget because Chip Gaines wasn't there to involve me Because Benjamin Franklin says, tell me and I forget, teach me and I remember, involve me and I learn. So I have to involve myself, otherwise I'm not going to get it. So Chip Gaines on uh, a page, this is page uh, 31 of his book, he says, perhaps you have to be crazy to choose the life of an entrepreneur, I realized, but you have to be stupid to choose it without counting the cost. It's about trade-offs. And I think to myself, that'd be a good thing to share on our show. So I wrote it here there's right here trade-offs and then I do the next tab. so I've actually read this book and you can have it right here or you can look at it I've read this book uh in St. Petersburg Beach Florida and I took notes as I was reading it then I'm going back and tabbing it which is why I have tabs on my desk over there I'm tabbing it today and so I will have basically essentially assimilated the content two to three times and every single book over here I've done that with so I involve myself in reading, but reading to me is not a passive thing. So that book itself will take me a month to finish reading. And the problem is I read that book and Failing Up and a book called Failing Up by Leslie Odom Jr., which is the, the lead star from the Broadway show Hamilton. And I read the book because I have no interest in Broadway, and I like to broaden my interests so i read it cuz i have no interest in that and i read it and i actually now have an appreciation for hamilton that i did not previously have so but i that's what i do and i'm in the process of tabbing that so i screwed up and i went on vacation so i read three books and now i'm bah. tabbing three books today but i'm involving myself in that's half tabbed by the way so I, it's that's not fully how, tabbed half-tabbed. that's how i do it so you have, the question was how do you know what kind of learner you are i don't know there's anybody out there that can read a book without taking notes in the margins who's going to learn anything from the book they can apply you've got to learn and write in the margin so i'm going to get dr sibley's take on this dr sibley there's a different difference between like going to college and memorizing things to get to pass a test and then learning actual skills you have to apply in your business when you read a best practice book or a case study on on practice or chiropractic care or running a company or whatever do you take notes do you dog ear pages what's your how do you involve yourself in the content what do you do
0: i'm an underliner underliner or highlighter yes oh yeah i do those because there's certain jewels or morsels that are in these pages and you can't remember. Them. So, I underline dog ear. I'm going to start using tabs now. Oh, tabs the tabs are great, are great good dude. Good yeah, they, I just got some new tabs, they're good. Because I want to I want to know everything that's in there so that I can share that with my patients and with my family. There's those jewels and nuggets that we read in these books that just blow the top of our head off and we think why didn't i think of that
1: it's just powerful so what i do is whenever i get to the end of my wisdom which is every day i then go back to my library and i dive into it so chub if you grab the creating espn book there this book is incredible that right there to the left oh that book right there this book just oh this book is dirty how awesome this book is. This book is by Stuart uh, Evie, E-V-E-Y, and he was the former chairman of ESPN. And so J. Paul Getty was his boss, and J. Paul Getty refused to come back to America because he doesn't like being around like, lazy people and he was convinced that most people are lazy. So he built a castle for himself in Europe, and he refused to come back, but all of his business ventures were in America. So he gave this guy, Stuart, the job of running his ventures. And so Stuart meets these two brothers who have been trying to start a sports network for years, and they don't have the money. So he gets J. Paul Getty. J. Paul Getty doesn't even care. He goes, listen, if you've looked at the financials, and it makes sense, underwrite it, but stick within the budget. So... They're starting this network, and he calls J. Paul Getty. and says, hey, boss, because you can only call him once a week. You couldn't call him every day. It's like a once-a-week call. He's like, hey, boss, um, we're out of cash, and I want to know how to market. He's like, uh, I don't care. Figure it out. So this is like how J. Paul Getty would manage. you know? He's like, if you can't figure it out, then I'll come there, and I'll take over, and then I won't need you. So this guy uh, realized, you know what? We don't have a way to market ESPN. So this is what they did. They went to the Kentucky Derby where all the celebrities were, you know, because all the celebrities go to the Kentucky Derby, and what they did was they pulled up these, these famous actors, like Robert uh, uh, Redford, you know? Yeah, Redford, yep. And they, they pulled up some of these guys, and they'd say, what do you like m- most about today's race? And they're like, oh, the energy here is amazing, the, the, the race, it's so fun. And they said, what do, you, what, what do you like most about sports? And Robert, you know, says, oh, I love uh, inter- entertainment, I love it excites you, it pulls you in, I love... And he's they're running around interviewing celebrities, asking them what they think about horse racing, and sports then they take all of their quotes without their permission and they edit it into their first espn commercial so their commercial says why do people love espn because and (laughs) it's all these and, and it's every celebrity doing it and so they get complaint calls coming in from all these people. The actors love it, though. They love being on TV, getting their name out there. But their agents are like, you did not get permission from my celebrity to run the ads. <laughs> furthermore, like, well, furthermore, we couldn't afford to do it. And they're like, that's so dirty. So Stewart's like, we kind of had to apologize. But we all of a sudden got really popular. Then he had the team wear red coats. And he said, no matter what shot ABC has or CBS has, or NBC has, just get in front of it. They're like, sir, we can't even get into the football stadium. We don't have press credentials. He goes, sure you do. Make lanyards that say whatever they need to say to get in and just show up. And if you have enough cameras and enough guys, they're not going to question. So these guys are showing up at games they're not even allowed to film. And then every time, that, that's because awesome. you can see the red light on the camera, whenever, you, whenever a camera's live, they'll say, take to camera one. Take the camera, two, Take the three. So whenever the CBS camera would go live, the ESPN guy would stand up right in front of the camera so you could see on the back it said ESPN, <laughs> your total sports network. And so they kept blocking the shots of everybody else. And this jackassery continued for 13 years Jeez. until they finally made a profit. And so he talks about the nitty-grittiness here on page uh, 112 of this book. He says, in the early days, ESPN – although on the air, was still under construction with no single office to serve as a meeting place for the architect or construction executive, potential sponsor, or ESPN sales representative. Instead, meetings frequently took place at the nearby Farmington Inn, a comfortable, modest motel that we literally took over in 1979 until the broadcast center was completed and the executives and senior staff had relocated their families to permanent residences the commute inevitable for some meant that the company had to spend a lot of money on hotels in new york to partially minimize these costs we decided to lease a two-bedroom apartment on 57th street in new york city complete with a doorman the lease was approximately two thousand each month and provided a nice clean economic economical place where executives and others could stay I and other Getty executives would often stay there on the way to or from Bristol. But as ESPN grew, the need for some of us to spend time in Bristol lessened. And he goes on to explain this. Well, the thing about this book is it's the same book as I Am Ted. So Ted Turner ran out of money. So he actually bought a country club. This guy bought a motel. He bought a country club. And both of them told their staff, we cannot afford to pay you. But we will give you free room room and board and you can be on tv all the time you don't understand like chris berman he's going back 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 and he could Go all <laughs> the way. He literally was not being paid and was living in a motel as compensation. They said, but you can be on TV. For 13 years, they, they built this. And so Ted Turner tells his staff, guys, here's the deal. Good news. We had enough cash in the bank. I bought a country club. I was able to get a down payment so we can afford, afford the payments. They're going, what's the bad news? We can't pay you guys anymore, but we're all going to live together at Woo! the country club. And that's how we're going to keep CNN on the air. And people are going, uh, sir, we're not making money. He goes, I know, but I'm waiting for a tremendously terrible or historic event to happen because that's when people will see the value of 24-hour 24 News, 24 hour news. But until we have a horrible thing happen, we have to wait. And they're like, you're waiting for a disaster? And then OJ got in the white bronco after killing his family. And next thing you know, all of a sudden, CNN made profit. But that was over a decade that CNN didn't make a profit. So when you read these books, so whenever I get to a low point in my life, I pull out this book. And when I read this book, I go, gosh, you know what? Uh, This right here is, this was worse than what I'm dealing with. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I think about, gosh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. So I turn to page 139 because I'm so tired. And I read on page 139 where Mr. Evie writes, I left the meeting thinking of a huge potential success Premiere could be. I still didn't understand the proposition fully, though I had a detailed portrait. I categorized categorized this idea as a 4 a.m. thinker. I'd surely be rolling and tossing over it at nighttime. The the later the better. This one was worth plenty of all-nighters. I'd been sleepless lately anyway. So he talks about any time he gets a good idea, he gets up at 4 a.m. and that's when he works through it. And so I think about, gosh, I don't want to get up today. And I think about, well, I mean, that's how they built ESPN. So I should probably just shut the heck up and get up at 4 a.m you know so i get I, this is these to me these are my well that i go back to so anytime that i run out of, out of life giving water passion energy which is every day i get up and i go to back to my
2: well and i pull these out and that's why these books are on my shelf chap that's why they're that's got a why lot they're, of them too that's why they're on this yeah I i've got, never done i gotta follow up on this so sean you were asking um was one part of your question how to know what uh, learning style a client has yeah clay would you say one good option is to just ask them i i guess i maybe i maybe i'm maybe i'm, I'm
1: uh, um experiencing the curse of knowledge i don't think there's anybody who learns through reading curse of knowledge was
3: one of my other questions
1: the, lear- learning um, just learning at all the entire education system is is totally screwed up uh, albert einstein wrote in great detail about it but the idea of memorization is stupid the idea that you're going to go to school read a book memorize it take a test and then take another test because you forget everything along the way right so for a guy like dr sibley you have to memorize all these things but then eventually you you learn by doing it and so now i mean dr sibley could you explain how what what causes shingles because without any notes in front of you could you explain what causes shingles and how you can treat it i mean this, this just watch watch the power of somebody's who been doing it for decades what causes shingles and how can you help it a
0: virus it's the virus, the same virus that causes uh, chickenpox, and that's why if you've had chickenpox, you're very susceptible to the virus. One of the ways we treat it, when I uh, learned this technique when I was director at cancer treatment centers, uh, is the coal laser, and we can take the CO laser, put it directly on top of the lesion, and within four or five days, the shingles are gone. But you're not looking you, – wait a second. But you weren't looking at any notes when you said
1: that answer. How do you know this?
0: Because of experience.
1: Right, because you learn by doing. So with your, if you're working with a coaching client, mm-hmm. there, there's not a single client we're ever going to have that doesn't learn by involvement. And that's why Socrates was the man. It's called the Socratic method. And so Socrates, the method is you ask – rhetorical questions so you ask uh when i will go do a sermon in uh in owensboro kentucky you're going to see the rhetorical i'm going to be like on a rhetorical just retreat i'm going to be smashing uh rhetorical so i'm going to say have you ever thought to yourself i'm not where i want to be financially have you ever thought about have you has anybody ever just dis- dis- been around somebody who's enormously successful and thought gosh what are they doing differently than i'm doing i have a good idea they had a good idea he ever been driving down the road and thought i wish i would have thought of that well let me tell you what i don't think that you i don't think that you wish that you would have thought of it. of i don't think you you wish that you were the person who actually thought about espn because when, once he had the idea it was 13 years of trade-offs before they made a profit so today we're going to talk about work ethic and people will be involved because they're going to go, I have had that idea, Driven, dri- dri- driving by a restaurant going, I wish I had thought of that. But you don't realize that the the, the the iceberg, you just see the iceberg above the water. But below the water, that's all the trade-offs, the work ethic. And so be careful what you're wishing for. If you have a new business idea, nothing works without a work ethic. But it's, it's, it's rhetorical. So nobody learns by just, here's a book, go read it. You have to take notes. And I'll tell you this. The members of our team um, that don't last very long, I'll give them a book. I do this on purpose, by the way. I'll give them a book, and I'll say, hey, could you read that this weekend? And then uh, I'd like to see it after. And the ones that have no notes in it, usually never, I mean, not not usually, they never work out. The people that read a book without taking notes, because you didn't really read it. What you do is you get through seven or eight pages, and you go, what was that about? And I do that all the time. I'm reading this Capital Gains book. Uh, If you you pass that book back to me. (laughs) I'm reading the book, and I'm thinking to myself, what does this mean? So let me let me find my first highlight here that I first won to highlight because I don't remember what I highlighted, but here we go. I'm reading. Here we go. Opening up to page three. Took you a while to get to it. He says, I was in first grade. I wasn't three or four. I was seven and a half years old, yet I was struggling to read basic sentences. I thought, he at the age of seven was struggling to read, and it, I feel like Henry Ford struggled to read. I feel like Einstein, I started making a list in my mind of all the people that struggled in school that are successful, and when I got to about 50 people, I'm thinking, I turn the next page, page five, and he says, people that struggled learning. Walt Disney, Albert Einstein—he just lists these people out, and I'm going. This is good encouragement for one of our listeners out there that's maybe dyslexic or something. I mean, Tim Tebow's dyslexic, uh, the founder of of, of Virgin Airways, yeah, Richard Branson—he's Richard Branson, dyslexic. I mean, there's so many, and, but yet yeah, the school system teaches that you're dumb if you can't read and memorize. And so I, I just thought that would be helpful for a listener. But that just, that's just—that's how I read. I don't—I don't read like it's—it's it's a passive activity. It's active. And there's nobody I've ever met who learns at all. And I didn't talk to Dr. Sibley about that ahead of time, but I knew that he would highlight or take notes or something. And anybody who struggles to read, it's because it's not an aggressive activity for you. It's not interactive. It's like you're passively looking at words on a page. Make sense?
3: Oh, totally. What's your next question, my friend? Okay, so you mentioned the curse of knowledge. If you type that into Google, it'll tell you that when an individual – it's a cognitive bias that occurs when an individual um, communicates with other individuals and unknowingly assumes that the others have the background to understand. I'm getting so much information working up at Thrive and and working with these clients about what works, um, and I just tend to find myself talking about it with them, and they're like, wait, 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 hold up. You know, how, do you, how do you combat that? I want to be the most effective I can with them.
1: Well, there's no bad uh, students. There's just bad teachers. So that's where you first have to, to grasp that. Uh, uh, and Dr. Sibley, I want him to talk about this because I remember um, it's called, it's in, in, in the medical world, you, how you treat a patient when you're with them, how would you call that? What's the phrase for how you treat patients?
0: Uh, rapport.
1: Rapport. Uh, I think some people call it like bedside bedside manner, bedside manner you know. Um, and I want to get your take on this in a second. But like I used to DJ, and when you start a DJ company, you basically only get hell gigs. So every event I had was a hell gig. I mean, I'm talking about dude, rough. I remember there's one. There was a, a a hospice center off of Pine. <laughs> Pine. So it was North Tulsa, a hospice center. You DJ a hospice party? No, I, I DJed at a hospice. And these are people that are dying. Yeah. And somebody booked a birthday party for their dad who's like 85, and he's just like really into Jello and doesn't know who anybody is. And he's got a walker with the tennis balls on the oh, bottom yeah, of it, oh, yeah. and the whole place smells like death.
2: It's not good. <laughs>
1: and I, I, it's over there by Booker T. Washington High School. I mean, this this place was a disaster. And I went out there, and I just was I was I was I was not well received. And I came back and talked to one of my mentors, and he said. It's because you did a poor job. If you were a good entertainer, you could entertain anybody. You need to fix that. That's a problem you have. It's a, it's a mindset you have. If you ha- if you want a good crowd, you're, you, there wasn't a good crowd. Tonight wasn't a good crowd. Good crowd Today was wasn't a a good, energy. It's like you're a weak entertainer. You're not an entertainer. Entertainers are, you, you, if you're an entertainer, you can entertain the people. They're not coming to you because they're already entertained. They're coming to be entertained. So if not... You're just a complainer. You're not an entertainer. You're a complainer. That's a good job. You should put on your business card. I'm a complainer. I complain about my crowd. Professional complainer. But I see doctors, though, that will talk about, oh, my patients. God, none of my patients. These guys, these patients. And and, and so rather than trying to get better at the way they treat patients, they just complain about how their patients are. Can you talk to me about the importance of bedside manner with your chiropractic facility there, your chiropractic practice, Dr. Sibley?
0: Bedside manner is everything. That's how your patients develop trust in you that's how your patients know that you care about them they feel that they can talk to you they can open up to you there's different conditions whether it's headaches back pain whatever usually there is a emotional psychological side to that that maybe stress at home or stress on the job that they don't really feel comfortable talking to you about unless you have their full trust and that comes through the way you care about a patient through your bedside manner or your personality to care
1: so here's how i'm going to teach somebody if someone if i was with a client right now Mm -hmm. and i were to teach them how to get to the top of Google, this is me doing it. Okay, Chup, can we can we roll play back and forth? Let's, do it. let's pretend you're the client. Okay, and you. And let's go back to the day when you ran your own concrete company. Okay. Okay. All right, Eric. So you want to get to the top of Google search results? Is that correct?
2: Yeah, man. I feel like you know the whole internet thing's taken off, and people probably searching for some concrete online. So. So just so that I can get an
1: idea yeah. of where where you're coming from and what you know about the internet. Um, how much do you know about Google optimization? Absolutely nothing. Okay. Well, let me just if you can jot these down. There's okay. four books I'd advise you to to read there's a book called get rich click by mark ostrovsky okay it's the only book endorsed by wozniak so wozniak the co-founder of apple it's the only book he endorses this is it second is search engine for dummies it's written by bruce clay okay and every year there's another edition that comes out okay there's another book called the honest seduction it's about how to generate internet leads through creating no-brainer offers, essentially. Okay. Okay. That's next one. And then the next book you're going to want to read, and this is again, these are these are books you're going to want to get into, and, and you just got to have to grind, you know, to get it. It's how Google works, and mm. it's written by Eric Schmidt, who's the CEO of Google. That so makes those sense. are the four okay. books. Now, the totality of those p- books would be about uh, two thousand pages. Those Ooh. those those four books. Now, I, as a search engine expert. Um, every year freshen up. So every year I read the updated versions, okay? So I uh, want you to know reading these books is terrible, and so I I don't like reading them. So I have condensed it into a checklist here. I'm going to go over with you. But to save you the time, I'm giving it to you. But if you want to read it, that's where it comes from. Right. Okay. um, There's four variables that impact your rank in Google, okay? Variable number one is reviews. Okay, what do you mean by that? Uh, whoever has the most reviews. So I'm going to show you an example real quick here. So this is a carpet cleaning business that I'm involved with. I've coached with them, and uh, very excited. It's it's a, a full disclosure, just so we're clear, just so you kind of understand what well, my bias here is that I and um, and have been involved for a long time, and I and I want the company to do well. And so therefore, I put a lot of intensity on it. Oxyfresh. Okay, so my partner, Jonathan Barnett, we also own The Elephant in the Room together. We have 129,000 reviews today. In Google. Wow. 129,000. So if you go to a website called spyfood.com spyfoo.com allows you to see how much web traffic somebody gets every day, um, estimated. They're, they estimate, it's, and it's, it's a very accurate, and it's the best thing you can get for free unless you want to subscribe to semrush.com. Um, this month, he's had 89,000 first-time visitors, and if he were to pay for pay-per-click, it would cost him $423,000 a month. And we've been doing search engine for 10 years and two months. Wow. Okay, so 129,000 reviews. So let's break that down. So for your business, if you're going to type in, let's say, Tulsa Concrete, all right, uh, you might not need to get 129,000 reviews. What you need right now to win, your competitor right now, Summit Concrete, has 25 reviews. Okay. Oklahoma Mobile Concrete has 14 reviews, and the other guy has two reviews. That's one of my competitors right there. So you'd want to get three times as many reviews as your competitors right now because Google uh, gives the incumbent, the person who's already there, the benefit of the doubt because they want to keep scammers from dominating search results. So you need to be consistent about getting one review a day. I'd pay your front desk people. I'd pay your office staff to get reviews. And people aren't going to want to get a review. They're not going to want to give you a review because how many reviews have you left? I mean, of about Applebee's or Outback or a restaurant you've gone to? I mean, how many times do you get out of your car and write a review? I've never done it. But how often do you read reviews before taking your wife out to dinner? Almost every time. Right. So who's writing reviews? The trolls I in oh control. My gosh. Okay. So you've got to get reviews, and people don't want to get reviews. Gotcha. So if you type in Tulsa men's haircuts, another bias. This is a company that I uh, own and operate, and just you know, uh, right now we're top in Google uh, for the phrase Tulsa men's haircuts, and we have 407 reviews, and our closest competitor has 49. But they sell cleavage as their marketing strategy. And so uh, I'm not competing with them, but they think they're competing with me. But any person who has self-respect will not go into that business. And so, um, but if you look at how much content we have, we have 2,890 pages of content today. And that's how we're topping Google. And again, if we go to what website do we need to go to to check our how much content, how much traffic we're getting? Chuck. Oh, you said like SpyFu. Right. So I go to SpyFu and I look up here. Okay. And we look here, and we have uh, 3,000 visitors that go to our site every month, which would cost me $3,000 a month if I was doing pay-per-click. But the problem with pay-per-click is that people don't trust ads. Okay. Unless you have reviews. So it's again, whoever has the most. Reviews Right. Is going to win okay. the search results. Okay. So let's do one more example. So we go back here. Let's do Tulsa iPhone repair. Tulsa iPhone repair. Um, in your mind, um, who would
2: you call if you were looking for iPhone repairs in Tulsa? Who would you call? Well, it looks like my choices are phone doctors. Okay. Uh, phone doctors. Yep. And phone doctors.
1: Oh, and just a full disclosure, I'm a partner with them and we're franchising. And so I just want you to know, in my office, it's not a suggestion for my staff to get a review. You will get a review once a day or you're fired. Right. Like, it's not like, it, I'll write you up for it. You know, like I'd write you up for stealing or lying. I'll write you up for not getting a review. Yeah. One review a day part of the job. from a customer. Yeah, because okay. we see enough customers. I mean, if you see 20 customers a day, you should get one review. Yeah. So, that's, d- any questions about the review
2: thing? No. So, we're talking about these Google reviews on the map here. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, so, the
1: next thing now is is content. The second version is content. Whoever has the most words. Now, if we look, do a Google search for the word dog, uh, I typed in the word dig, which is different. But close. let's type in the word dog. Very, very close. The word um, dog... If you type it into Google searches, you see how Wikipedia comes up top? I do. And do you have any idea why Wikipedia? I do not. It's because they follow what's called the Google canonical rules. It's the canon. It's their established rules. Okay. And Larry and Sergey, when they invented Google, they did it when they were in college. Okay. And they were studying to be PhDs at Stanford. And at Stanford, they wrote these things called papers, and they were written in MLA format. MLA format. That's the standard format. And so they decided they've got to find a way to determine what's the most relevant search result. And so they decided that any website that followed MLA format could win. Okay. So if you think about this, um, in college, you know, professors always tell you the, the, the paper has to be at least 20 pages. You know, know. you know, when you get to like page 15, you start making crap up. The gobbledygook. You start saying, well, henceforth, uh, basically, uh, the canine is uh, the canine Erectus domesticus, uh, is a widely known carnivorous. Uh, and you just keep hoping that the professor doesn't read the last five pages. Right. But they told you the paper has to be at least 20 pages long. Gotcha. And you know the professor can't possibly read all of them. 70 pages. Because there's papers. 300 kids yeah. in your psychology <laughs> class. And you also know that you're, so you're just, you don't want to plagiarize, but you're just making crap up that's how google works okay so whoever has the most content gets to be top so you type in the word you go to dog look how many times they they mentioned the word dog 704 times on the page about dogs it's a lot of a lot of dogs right there. which is why they're top so let's go to elephant in the room let's see where we put all of our content let's i'd say what let's do this let's do if you were going to get your haircut and you lived in jinx oklahoma what would you type in there eric um maybe jinx men's haircuts okay let's let's give it a whirl jinx men's haircuts and lo and behold oh we're top and look every, we're top for every page we're top oh my gosh but chup now
2: how many pages of content do we have how how how, how would you know how many pages of content we have how could you tell? Uh, maybe i just look at the buttons on that bar at the top of your website no nope. you pages? click
1: site colon in front of the site and you hit enter this, oh. this is how many pages google counts
2: and you have to have at least a thousand words of content per page in order for Google to count it. So you're saying the Elephant in the Room website has 2,890 pages that Google has currently counted. Okay. And
1: Google downloads the entire internet every day, and every ninety day, every ninety days re reindexes, reshuffles. Oh. Okay. So it, deter- so it determines what book. You know, when you walk into Barnes and Noble, have you ever thought about what book? How do they determine what book they're going to put on display? What book they're going to recommend? Maybe the best, the one that sells the best. It's based on um, the the purchase volume. And it it triggers a supply chain. So basically, if a book's being purchased a lot, it gets into the front of Barnes & Noble. So how do you get to the front of Barnes & Noble? That's the question. Don't know. Buy your own book. Ah. True story. You can end up on the Heat Seekers list, and that's how the four-hour work week became a top seller. That's how most books become a top seller. You basically buy enough of your own book that you end up on the Heat Seekers list, and that's tracked using an ISBN number. Okay. And that's how it works. For Google... You get the most content, and they figure if you have the most content and you're consistent, you're probably if you have the well. Then they go, well, how many reviews do you have? Because it's unlikely that you would be a startup and have the most reviews and not have a lot of content, or vice versa. Right. So you have to do both. Okay. And you have to do it every month.
2: So, so the question is not, not a one-time thing,
1: right? So when you go to our website and you check out elephantroom.com, where do you think we put our content? No idea. We put it on the sitemap, and why don't we hide the content? Why don't we hide it? No idea. Because we're proud of it. We're proud that we've written 2,800 pages. Okay. Because whoever has the most content wins. And Google says if you hide your content, you will be penalized and blacklisted from the internet.
2: Seems kind of scammy if you're trying to hide stuff. So
1: here are all my pages. And if, you, if I hold the down arrow down while talking to you at the bottom of EITR Lounge on the sitemap, I could hold the down arrow for all the listeners out there. If you go to EITRLounge.com and you click on sitemap, you can see them. If I click the down arrow while talking, you and I could have about a 10-minute interview about this. And I would still be, because I've been doing this for six years, homie. How much does it cost me per article I write? What do you th- if Jeff, if you were to sit down and write an article okay. about haircuts and Jinx? How long's it got to be? What would you write about,
2: and how long would it take you to write it? I, uh, a thousand words. Uh, a thousand words. Ten I, paragraphs. I'd probably try to talk about maybe where it's at. So Jinx. Um, how hair, long would hair it ta- How long would it take you? You think? Most likely hours. What I mean? What am I going to write about? I don't know.
1: So our staff has to write about a company they have no idea about. No, an industry they have no knowledge of Okay, for like two hours and they switch to another company. So they have to write about Tulsa men's haircuts or jinx men's haircuts. And it typically takes them about a half hour to write an article. And then after you write the article, somebody else has to then upload it. Now, okay. Chuck, why can't the person who writes the article upload their own article? Don't know. People lie, cheat, and steal. Ah. It's called a quality control loop. Okay. and I have to have somebody other. It's like accounting. You wouldn't want the person to chalk up their own commissions. Yeah, you know, you want to have a, accountability. Yeah, so you write it up there, and then this right here at the top, this is this is called the H1 text, and you've got to have H1 text that's about what you're what you're trying to optimize for. Okay, so we're trying to optimize for, in this case, the best Waso haircuts. Then you have the title tag, which is like the title of the research paper. Would it be weird if your research paper was about dogs, but at no point did you use the word dogs in the title?
2: That'd be pretty weird.
1: Hmm. Okay, so then you have to have the most words, and you have to weave in your keyword, and you just have to follow all the rules. And so there's a meta description. Uh, let me pull it up here, I'll pull up the description so you can see it. And by the way, for all the listeners out there, if you right-click on a website and you click View Source, you can see the source code, and you can see the keywords and the descriptions. We write that. Long story short, I pay our people 12 bucks an hour. Does that seem fair to you? Yeah. Cool. Seems like a fairly tough job, too. So every article we write, we charge clients $12, and for non-clients, we charge you 15 and depending upon some industries that we have to charge fifteen because it's a little bit more intensive, and so because we have how many pages of content? Do you remember how many pages we have of content on Elephant Room? Two thousand
2: nine hundred eighty,
1: maybe. Yeah. So if we were to just get a calculator and we were just to you know be offensive and say two eight nine zero times twelve. Uh, how many uh, times 21, well, times 12, how much money would we did we spend on Search Engine so far? $34,680. Correct. Now, okay, so there's th- there's four variables. Variable number one is reviews. Do you feel good about this? Yeah, I got it. Two, the most content. Do you feel good about that? Yeah, most most words. Three, the canonical compliance. It means you follow the layout that Google likes. So you have to have, we have a checklist I'll show you here. And, I, and, and if you're a coaching client, we have it in the wall. You can see it. Okay. But we have to have a horizontal navigation bar. Do you know why you have to have one? I have no idea. I don't either. Okay. So then you, the sitemap, the bottom, you have to have a, di- okay, remember that. a HTML sitemap. Why do you have to have an HTML sitemap? Don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Actually, I do know. In the book, How Google Works, it explains it's like the works cited page so you can find everything. And we okay. go through. So th- you have to follow all these rules. All right. Now, the final thing is it has to be mobile compliant.
2: Why does the site have to work on mobile devices? Well, I can just imagine that there's probably a lot of people on their cell phones and they probably want it to look good so over 80% of searches are now done on smartphones okay and yeah. so it has
1: to happen is it has to adjust for mobile and the problem there's all these different phones because like Samsung came out with a new phone like about two months ago so my newest phone is the newest Samsung yeah it's got like a rounded edge oh then there's an iPhone the new iPhone there's an iPad there's a Samsung tablet and your device has to your your website has to work on all those devices okay and so you right here you have to be able to adjust to all those devices and it never and, and do you think that that people are going to stop making devices do you think samsung is going to for your convenience as an entrepreneur stop making new devices probably not right which is why we have to update your website every single month to make sure that your website maintains canonical compliance so much like uh getting a garden you build, you know you buy the plants you plant the you plant the the, the vegetables mm-hmm. how often do you think you should pull the weeds as so much as possible i would say daily yeah at least weekly yeah so that's what we do with your website. Every single week we prune it, and every month we do it. And then we're going to each month. I'm going to send you a search engine report, and that search engine report is going to show you transparently where you're ranking. So we have clients. I think of one client in particular, um, Roy, and Roy is just he's he's great. Roy Roy's great. It's with RC Auto Specialists, and so I'm going to type in RC Auto Specialists, so you can see the search engine report that I sent, um, Roy this 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 um, month. So Roy now he's top in Google for Ford Diesel Repair, Tulsa. Ford Diesel Repair, Tulsa. Tulsa Ford Diesel Repair. Now, why would I have to put Tulsa before it for one keyword and after it? Why would I have to be top for Ford Diesel Repair, Tulsa, and also for Tulsa Ford Diesel Repair? I don't know. Why would I have to be top for F-250 truck repair, Tulsa? People probably searching for that. What about Power Stroke Repair, Tulsa? Hopefully, people are searching for that. These are all the terms people search for. Okay. So we're top for all these different terms, and uh, Roy invests in about 100 articles a month. So, how much is Roy spending a month in your mind? Uh, about $1,200. Correct. Okay. Now, if he now, had a specialty that was different, uh, like
2: some in- industries and niches are a little harder. So, yeah.
1: it's $15 an article.
2: Okay. But that's what, 12 is what it costs us, hard cost. And then, what all, I don't, I understand what you're saying, but I don't know how to do any of this. So, what all can you guys do?
1: Well, one is a search engine company. We could uh, do it for you, or you could do it for yourself. There's two ways to write content. Okay. I, I endorse both. One is you could do a podcast every day. A 10 minute podcast. And then we've actually invented a technology which uh, I don't think a lot of people realize that we've. Actually invented this technology. It's called EndQuote, and uh, I hired an MIT student, and uh, uh, we teamed up, we partnered. So this is like ninety-nine percent her brainchild, and like it's, but it's for me. I saw a need, right? Because we were paying over a dollar fifty per minute to transcribe. So I started talking to Challen, and, and Challen actually took the effort and did it. But it trans, it transcribes your audio files and it turns them into text real time. Okay. And so this program, for about thirty cents a minute, will transcribe anything you're saying. And so if you want to do a daily podcast, you can be top in Google as a result of just having the most words. But, Chuck, do you know how many clients we've ever had that have done a daily podcast? I have no idea. In my 12 years coaching, I've never had anybody do it. The closest I've ever had was Dr. Edwards, and he does them as needed. And he's top. So if you type in Tulsa Prolotherapy, Prolotherapy, he, he has us do about 100 articles a month for him. There he is. He's top in Google for every possible term there. If you type in like Tulsa, I think Tulsa vasectomies is something he's doing now too. And I know you're excited about that, but Tulsa vasectomies. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's see where he's at here. Oh, maybe it's vasectomies. Let's see, Tulsa
2: vasectomies. And if he wanted to be top in Google, Chup, how would he have to do it? Uh, He's going to have to have more reviews and more content, it sounds like.
1: There he is, starting to pull up. And so he has us write content, but here he has a podcast. And uh, he's done 95 podcasts so far. Oh, wow. Okay. And each podcast is equivalent to one article. But I've never had a client outside of him that's ever done. Now, we have one company called Peak Medical, and they actually have landed huge deals. We're talking huge. With, like, Stanford, UCLA, like, huge companies, like uh, 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 um, University of Washington. Okay. I mean, these are big. But he does a podcast. And I think right now, I could be wrong. Uh, let's see here. He has 19 podcasts. Okay. But the problem is, how many articles does Elephant in the Room have? Uh, almost 3,000. Yeah, so you need 3,000 podcasts. You better get started. Woo! Or you can have our team do it. But okay. so that's, that's, that's that's your option. So, hey, right, cool. do a 10-minute podcast for 3,000 days in a row or pay our team to do it. AKA nine and a half years. Uh. And just for fun, a lot of people say, it'd be so nice. I wish I would have been the person who invented the Pioneer Woman idea. I mean, I wish, God, it must be nice being her doing that blog out there in Pahuska. God, She has not made. She's in Walmart now, that Pioneer Woman, that lady who teaches DIY projects. How many articles do you think she's written? It's overnight success, right? Fourteen thousand three hundred articles. Oh, oh, okay. So that's like a fourteen thousand page book. That's so a lot of pages. And again, that right there, Sean, is how I would teach a client how search engines work. Gotcha. It's not like, here's how Google works. Basically, you just boom. And then boom, and because people want to know, anybody who has a rational mind is going to want to know how it works, and to make sure you know what you're talking about, right? Right. And I always cite where I'm getting my information from. And my entire time of coaching, I've only had two clients ever that have read those books. And the one I did, it was pretty cool. He's in Oklahoma City. He calls me up and he goes, he said, "Dude, I'm reading. I'm reading right now the Bruce Clay Search Engine for Dummies, and I'm like on chapter four. It's like a 500 page book, and it's awful." <laughs> and I go, what are you doing to stay awake? He's like, Red Bull? Like I'm I, I, it's, it's awful. He's like, this book is terrible. And I'm like, I know, because it's all technical. It's like reading the manual for your car. Have you ever bought a car where yeah. they have the manual in the glove box? It's just brutal. Yeah, it's. T- What's your next question, there, Sean? Okay, um, you got to eat that microphone. Right We're right. we, we using unidirectional microphones for the listener quality, so you just your face has to just eat that glorious mm, mi- microphone.
3: Yum. Okay, so um, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad Poor Dad, has a quote from that book. He says, "If you look." Uh, at any successful person at the start they were not balanced or they were not balanced balanced people uh go nowhere they stay in one spot to make progress you must first go unbalanced just look at how you make progress walking so i'm like learning about these f6 goals i'm starting to live my life by these f6 goals yeah and i'm finding that like I just don't want to spend time in some of them. Like I don't even want to. Is that a, is that?
1: Normal? Well, let me let me let me offend somebody out there. I'll tell you about my, my 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 religion, my Christian faith, and how much time I spend on it every day. Just being blunt, someone can judge me. This is good, good judgment, good judgment. Um, I listen to T D Jakes every morning, every single morning. I listen to T D Jakes, and that's all I can do. Now I'll pray throughout the day. But I'm telling you what, I have no interest in, in traveling overseas. I don't want to do missions. I'll support the missionaries. If people if someone feels like that's that that's their calling is to do missions, I will write you a check. I will do it. And you I want you to go do that job. But I am not I just am not. I'm not gonna attend a men's seminar. I'm not going to a men's summit. I'm not going to a marriage counseling seminar. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm taking my wife on a date every Wednesday. Boom. I'm going to send her a text of encouragement every day. Boom. I'm going to be home by a certain time every day, and my phone's going to be turned off. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm going to be home on the weekends. But I am not going to an endless series of faith-building seminars and services because I don't understand. I I don't even understand the concept of free will. Like People during Easter are like, oh, my gosh, I'm so appreciative of Christ dying for me. i got to be honest with you. The feeling that I have every Easter is confused. I'm like... Why, if you're the infinite creator of the planet, why would you create a scenario where you have to kill your own son to win? This doesn't make any sense to me. This seems like a poor strategy. If you're, if Chuck was a football coach and he said, "For us to win, we have to kill our own quarterback," we have to kill Tom Brady. We have to <laughs> kill him on the field to die for our sins. I'm like, ah, I don't care. But God, I believe, is smarter than me. Infinite intelligence. I've just, just, I've, I've, uh, resigned in my mind that my smartphone works and I have no clue how it works. I resigned to my mind that every country that implements the Judeo-Christian philosophy does well. People have more peace. So I resigned that God is real. Christ is his son. He died for my sins. I don't care at all about anything beyond that because i went to oru where i studied theology and i've read the old testament and new testament multiple times and i kept asking questions and my t- my teacher's assistant and my professor would all eventually say son it just requires faith and i have no idea now i'm like okay do, and i do, 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 it, and ta- i mean i'm so i'm just telling you for me i don't go down that rabbit trail at all but maybe somebody else does maybe there's a listener out there and that's what you feel called to do but you just got to do trade-offs man i mean if you don't do trade-offs you're gonna lose it's just, I mean, Doctor Sibley. I mean, you built your chiropractic practice. I mean, and you've had a lot of success. I mean, uh, Jack Welch uh, did a uh, the the CEO, number one CEO of all time, who grew GE by four thousand percent. He was interviewed. It's in the Wall Street Journal about life balance. You know, how do you find life balance? And Jack Welch says, "There's no such thing as work life balance. There are work life choices, and you make them, and they all have consequences, good or bad." Can you talk about trade-offs you've made in your career, maybe like where you've said, you know, I wasn't doing that because I was doing this. Or Can you talk about any trade-offs you've made? Because you obviously are very successful now, but what trade-offs
0: did you have to to make to get there? I think mistake-wise, I was so motivated and so caught up in being successful that I probably sacrificed some of my family time that I should have been with my family but I finally realized that and I made up for that so So you you realized it I realized that that my kids were growing up and I was not being a part of that so I rearranged my entire life so that I could do that and just like you were talking about your church life or your christian life i got out of balance in that area too so i started correcting that yeah and after that everything else seems to just fall into par I,
1: into place I, I have found if you get that little that, that like you just said if you get the, the faith and the family right first everything else
0: will fall in place in place
1: here's a little thing you can try though i tried this for seven years what you do is you don't get the family part right Mm-hmm. And what you do is you just make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And you'll find that when you get to the top of Mount Success, and you're, in my case, I, I had made it where I was just a horrible husband. I was honestly just actually a disaster. You, you, there's no peace. There can be no peace at the office when you're not having a peace at home. I'm just telling you, it's just, so you've got to get that right. That That's, that's, the I believe faith and family have to go in first, which is why I listen to TD Jakes every morning. I just have to, I have to get that right every morning. Otherwise I just, and st- even our meetings at six, And usually by 7, I've committed my first 15 to 20 sins by 7. And I was sin-free between like 4 a.m. and like 6.45. But usually about 6, that's that's dishonest. At 6.04, I've usually committed my first egregious sin. Because it's like I get, I, I, I don't understand why it's so hard for humans to just do what they're supposed to do at work. And so usually by 6.04, I've got a text message from some employee that can't be there or has a life issue or is going through some drama. And it makes me crazy. And so I've recently got to a place where I don't curse as much, but I curse in my mind, which I think is worse. Because <laughs> out loud, I'm like, shucks. But then in my mind, I'm like... Beep, 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 I want to their, their, F out their I want to F out their you know F and gouge out their eyeballs and you know and I'm like why did I just think that I've watched full that, that was it Full Metal Jacket <laughs> <laughs> I will gouge out your eyeballs I'm like why do I think that I did not. anyway it's probably too much Tupac in my life back to you Sean what's your next question oh wow okay yeah, do you have okay. another one do you have another one there swirling around so um, final question this is your
3: final question you get to ask and then we're, I'm going to kick myself off the show alright so I'm just curious you've sold a lot of different things in your life you've s- just selling. Tons of stuff.
1: Sell, sell something. Of- sell something. Yeah. Sell something. What's the most- I don't want to oh, get woo. caught up oh, in woo. the middle.
3: <laughs> I need to sell myself. What
0: has Whoa, been that's different. <laughs> the,
3: I know there's a, a formula to make yeah. sales uh, like work, but what is the most difficult thing that you've encountered that's like hard to sell?
1: Selling is really easy, though, bro. It's like a mindset thing. So you just let me break it down for you. One, don't sell something you don't believe in. True. Two, don't sell something that cannot be supported by facts. So let's get into sales. Step one, you build rapport. So you need to script out five rapport building questions for every sales process. Five. That's it. Five. Don't get more than five because you can't scale it. Five. Five questions. So here's my here's rapport building question if I was selling men's haircuts. One, hey, thank you for calling the Elephant in the Room. How'd you hear about us? Two, let me ask you this How familiar are you with the Elephant in the Room? Three, have you tried other men's grooming lounges in town? Right. That's that's three. I I, I mean that's I can to give you five. That's just three. Boom. Okay. Needs. Let me ask you. Needs. This is this is this is, this is if you just if you want to not read all the Brian Tracy books. There's like thirty of them. This is how you do it. But if you want to read all thirty, they're great books. But here we go. You say, in a perfect world, if all haircut places charge the same price, what are you looking for from your haircut? And then they say, well. if... All charge the same price. I'm looking to get in on time. I want this, one want that. But most people are focused on price. It's like an obstacle, you know? You say, okay, second, let me ask you this on a scale of one to ten, how happy are you with your current haircut place? Why? You know, ten being the highest. You know. So you ask the person what they want. So step one, build rapport, get them to like and trust you. You know, like and trust. Okay. Compliment them. Like and trust. Step two, just find the problem they have. Don't guess. Don't guess. Don't guess what problems your customers have. Ask them. The entire elephant in the room experience is based upon me asking. The epic photography was literally me going to a bridal show without any cameras or the ability to take photos, and me asking brides, hey, uh they, they said, well, what do you guys do? How much do you charge? And I said, How familiar are you with epic photography? And they said, Well we're not. I mean I just launched the website yesterday, you know? By the way, all the photos on my website I stole off of other people's websites. Real. Real. But you know, I say stole. I, say, I bought them. I had a friend of mine who's a photographer in a different city, and I said, can I just put your images on my site as my portfolio? He goes, yeah, sure, for a grand. So I paid him a grand. Boom. So Brides, I said, hey, let me ask you, what are you looking for from a photographer? And they go, their photos are awesome, because it drove them in the booth. I said, oh, we're, we're proud of them. You know? So
2: let me ask you, though. <laughs> we worked really hard on those. <laughs> I said,
1: How familiar are you? And she says, well, not really familiar. Two, let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Uh, uh, Have you looked at other photographers? Yeah, I have. What wedding date are you getting married? You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Needs. If all photographers charge the same price, what are you looking for? And every bride, I mean, if you had 100 brides, 80 of them would say, well, we're looking for unlimited time, but no one here does it. They all do like four hours. Like, okay, cool. So let's just say that we do unlimited time. Which we do, by the way. And they go, oh, wow. <laughs> second. Which we do. Yeah, second. Second. Now, wh- second thing. All the brides tell us is they, it, it, how, how important is it to get your photos back quickly? And they go, come on, my sister got married last year and it took six months to get the photos back. And I said, well, we actually do um, a two-week turnaround time. And they go, what? I said, yeah, what else, what else are you looking for? And I said, I mean, what's your big concern? What's keeping you from booking with us or someone else today? Mothers say this. Mothers go, well, we want to try it before we buy it, which makes sense. And they sound kind of cynical at the trade show because they've talked to all these charlatan photographers, of which I was one at this time, right? So I say, so what are you looking for? Mom says, well, we just want to try it before we buy it. We want to see, you know. I said, well, that's what we do too. You know, what we do is we shoot your engagement for free and your bridles for free. And if we're terrible, you don't pay us anything, and if we're good, you still don't have to pay anything. But if you do book with us, you know, if you book your wedding with us, like that's included. You know what I'm saying? So you're you're, you're going in. There's no cost to it. But if you if you hate the photos, I'm not going to give them to you. But if you like them, I'll give them to you as part of your package. Does that makes sense. So you're you're getting it included. It's like free, but you only if you book your wedding. And the brides are like, yeah. And can we tell you what Sean? We went out there and we did some horrible engagements. I mean, stuff that didn't <laughs> make sense. But they didn't pay anything. All of our bridles were a disaster. And we did it for about six months where we just did epically horrible bridal photo shoots. Ones where like everyone's facial expressions was wrong. The lighting was wrong. Why are
2: they hanging from a tree?
1: Like, no, like weird, (laughs) weird distances. I remember one bride, this is funny, the guy shooting, he goes, wouldn't it be cool if like your photos were like, you guys looked like you're scared? And it's a true story. I'm not not making this up. And it looked like you guys were kind of scared. And like there was like a a pterodactyl chasing you. And this bride was just a little bit nerdy enough to go with it. And she's like, yeah. So we Photoshopped a pterodactyl flying ball. I'm not kidding. Swear to God. And it was the craziest thing. And then the moms looked at it. She's like, I don't like these at all. I mean, this is weird. (laughs) What is this? We did super dark, like morbid lighting sometimes. We did like overexposed, any aperture screw up you could do because we didn't know what we're doing. Then once we got it where people said, gosh, these are good. These are really good. Then I started sh- taking those photos and replacing the bad photos we had in our bra- at our bridal show with good photos. Now, remember, up to this point, I've never collected a dollar. I've never uh, uh, taken a dollar from somebody. You don't have the right to take a dollar from somebody in case- unless you can deliver. So at this point, I go back to the show. It's been about six months. And we've got awesome photos everywhere. And now we're saying, well, hey, let me ask you, what are you looking for from a photographer? How familiar are you with them? We're doing the report questions. Then we build the needs then we say benefits. Here's the benefits we said. One is we're the only photography company in Tulsa that does unlimited time. Fact. Two, we're the only photographer in Tulsa that does a two-week turnaround time. Fact. Three, we're the only photographer that charges 30% less than everybody else. Fact. We're the only photographer that does a bridal or engagement session for free before you decide to book with us fact and i'm going to give you testimonials of the last 10 weddings we've done so you can call the brides and make sure they were happy and at that point man you just start rocking but if you have if you don't have your five rapport building questions it's not going to work if you don't have your five needs based questions it's not going to work if you don't have any facts to support your claims it's not going to work and if you don't ask for the clothes it's not going to work. So I see a lot of people scamming people and they're struggling with sales because they're selling something they don't believe in. That's not good. I see a lot of people not scripting their questions so they don't know they're not. It's no There's no method to it. And the way that the you can read a lot of books. There's one called New New Conceptual Selling that explains the psychology. But basically, someone doesn't know who you are, so you have to build rapport. They have to like and trust you. Then step two, like a combination lock, to unlock it. The first combination is rapport. The second is needs. You have to find their needs. You got to find what they want. Don't just tell them what they want. Find what they want. Then benefits. You got to support them with a fact. And then call to action. You absolutely have to call people to a point of action when you do try to get a deposit or book an appointment they're going to have an objection and people always have the following three objections no time no need no money so build a script for how to handle those and then just go dominate but i think people chop. i think people like fight scripting yeah And then they fight recording their calls. I used to put a video camera in our booth, so I saw our own show. I watched video footage of me getting rejected. I mean, we recorded our calls. So if you don't video your office or record your calls, you really can't get
2: better because you just sort of give people general ideas. Yeah. There's something weird going on with that too. Whenever you don't want to look at yourself or listen to yourself to get better, like, well, what are you scared of? You got to figure out what that is. And then if this is a proven sales system, it works every time we implement it. And so if you're fine, you're working with somebody, Sean, that, that is having a hard time with this, you got to really make sure they analyze that their product or service is something people want, right? People think they have a great idea or the best next thing, but if nobody else cares about it or wants it, you're going to have a real hard time. selling Hey, what's
1: the name of the incredible float tank lady? Uh, Deb, I'm going to give you an example of something. This is so funny. This is so funny. I just, I love, I love sometimes eating crow on radio. This is great, but it, <laughs> but it proves points. Um, she has a company called, what's it called? H2Oasis Float
2: Center and Tea House. Can you explain to the listeners out there what her business model is or yeah. what she does? So these uh, float tanks, they're called sensory deprivation chambers, and it's a uh, floating pool that's filled with a uh, solution of salt and Epsom salt and water so that you, your body literally floats out of it. And the, the, It's the same temperature as your skin, so you can't feel what is air touching your skin and what is water touching your skin. There's no lights. There's no feeling. There's nothing touching you whatsoever, and you get in this thing for an hour, and you just float there, and it's super relaxing, and and it's a really cool thing. So here's the deal. There's a lot of people who swear
1: by it and a lot of people that absolutely love this business so we got to the top of google yep and
2: she has how many leads does she she have now um before we even started running ads in like the first month and a half her new site was up she had over 200 web leads
1: because tulsa apparently has a need for a float tank center right (laughs) and so we just filled the need right but the thing was is that when we first discovered this lady she was referred to us from the hub gym yep i don't it i mean I would never go to a float-take center. Right. Under no (laughs) circumstance. So the the pastor I work with, uh, Pastor Brian, he really wants to take uh, uh, people to Israel because he believes in the Holy Land uh, and believes it's important to see the origins of Christ and where the Bible took place. And my wife is pumped. She wants to go. I I don't know like if you struck me a check for ten grand to go per day that I would ever want to go like I just I don't want to go I don't want to leave the country I don't I don't like leaving ever I mean I, leaving Oklahoma is stressful flying but at the same time it turns out people want to go there right so it's not about whether I have a need for it or you have a need it's to, is there enough of a need who are those ideal and
2: likely buyers you got to so, find them
1: Dr John Sibley I mean what percentage of the American population are just terifri- terrified
0: by chiropractors. I would say probably at least 30 to 40 percent they're just terrified yes
1: and so and then have you ever had somebody come in because their back pain is so bad they finally are like okay I broke down I'm gonna see you and now they're a committed lifer
0: correct uh, most people get desperate and they look for different remedies through other different vehicles for health care and finally they Say, well, let's try something natural. Let's try not medicating or do something Surgery like Surgery or whatever. Whatever. So, yeah, they come in, they see it's an easy experience, it's painless, gets quick results. So, they're a believer. Right. And they give us a Google review.
1: And they give you a good, I mean, that's the thing is, like, there's just because you're passionate about chiropractic doesn't mean that 100% of Tulsa will be. That's correct. But there's people, we are passionate about providing solutions for people that have p- chronic pain. And eventually, most people will go visit a chiropractor once they have a breakdown. They're ready for the breakthrough. But again, like he's not out there um, selling like solar powered flashlights. You know what I mean? It's, it's <laughs> like you're not selling like ice to Eskimos. You're not out there. And I see a lot of people trying to do that. And I'll just tell you an example for something in my life that was uh, frustrating as anything. Um, my frustration is that not everybody would want to become an entrepreneur or even 1% of people. I'm frustrated that one out of 100 so one one hundred, so like one out of a thousand people, in my opinion, have what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. I just, I, I and honestly, and I, 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 at the age of twenty seven, I thought, gosh, I could teach people this, and I would go to these speaking events and I'd teach people, but they wouldn't execute it. And so what's really neat about our listeners is we have a lot of people that actually are diligent doers, Right. but we're weird. If you watch how they comment on Twitter or Facebook or when they email, they're emailing like their questions at four in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These sick freaks are getting up at 5 a.m. every day. Uh, we, we, we do our workshops. They start at 7 a.m. That's right. And all of them have been up for like two hours
2: <laughs> before the workshop. I mean, it's just- We get the wild ones that show up an hour and a half early just to kind of see what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So
1: we, uh, the Thrive, I experienced the Thrive Time Business Coaching. It's not for everybody. <laughs> In fact, if you go to Tony Robbins seminars frequently, you would hate our workshops because it's like not at all focused on just motivational things. We're focused on executing a proven system. And so, again, when Dr. Z and I were talking about that recently, I mean, it's it's honestly our, our – what we do at the Thrive Time Show, uh, we take on – like we have 160 clients in the portfolio. We really can't do more than that. That's why we always have to like uh, – Prune. Uh, well, we yeah, we have to if – a, if a client's not going to do their work, we have to just tell them, hey, it's time to move on and replace them with someone else because we always have a kind of a waiting list of new folks. But it's literally a one out of a thousand thing. I, I don't know of anybody in my family outside of my brother-in-law, Justin, who has what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And I can't – on all sides, I mean, we're talking as far out as you go. There's nobody on either side – no matter how far you go. And occasionally people want to be an entrepreneur and then they try and they fail because they're lazy. But it's like, I, I don't think, Adam, I mean, with, I don't know about you, Dr. Sibley, how far you can go out or if you have a few entrepreneurs in your family, but we go right now, right now, um, a thousand. I mean we go out to my wife's family My family all their family all their family There's no there's nobody I mean there's just Nobody in that family Who has any interest at all in being an entrepreneur I mean do you do you have an entrepreneurial family there they're, Dr. Sibley do you come from entrepreneurs No no I mean it's, it's honest I mean do you do you feel like you're talking to people from another Planet when you explain to them the passion you have
0: for Entrepreneurship at some point I feel like that What entrepreneurship Is is teaching others And if you can teach it to others, then you're going to live the life yourself. Wow.
2: Jeff, I mean, do you feel like sometimes people just don't get it? Yeah, for a lot of times. And well, I think one of the reasons I feel so at home working at Thrive, like right. it's just been natural since day one. My parents were entrepreneurs. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. My aunt and uncles own their own business. My brother in law is an entrepreneur. My father in law is an entrepreneur. Like, I've been surrounded by these people my whole life. And so it's like, it's normal to me to, like, what time do you want to record the day before Christmas Eve, Clay? 3 a.m.? Okay, let's do it.
1: You know, uh, <laughs> Dr. Uh, uh, Sibley, you can probably enjoy this, uh, but my grandfather, grandpa, his name was a uh, big. Meinhardt, mm-hmm. This guy was an electrician in uh, Minnesota. And this is this. Let me tell you about this sick freak. This sick freak. He passed away about about you know seven eight years ago. This guy was just a sick freak. He would get up. I'm 12 years old, right? So I'm staying with him for the summer. He'll wake you up at 5 a.m. and you get to go to Burger King to have a breakfast whatever sandwich you know the drive through. Mm-hmm. And then you don't get lunch, and you don't ask about lunch. And if you do, you get the evil eye <laughs> until like 6 p.m. And he would get to a crew of about 40 people, 40 electricians working for him, and the jobs where you had to climb up high on the poles or fix like a stadium lights, he wanted those because he said they were like the toughest ones. Then this sick freak, every five years, would sell or shut down the company and move to another state just because he wanted the thrill of starting it again. That is crazy. (laughs) So my mom goes to college at Oral Roberts University, and she calls her dad like, Dad, I want to come visit you, you know? And he says, okay, well, you'll need to fly out to Colorado Springs. She's like, you moved to Colorado Springs?
2: Come on, Dad.
1: What about the house? (laughs) Because she was raised in all these different houses, you know? And he's like, oh, yeah, I moved to Colorado Springs. And then, like, he picked up and moved five years later to, like, Hawaii, he moved to South Dakota? He moved to California cuz he heard it's hard to start a company there. He just wanted to show and this is like he was, No, and he's <laughs> all about it. And he and I, we were my wife and I were talking about this. I share that same problem. Like I just love it. I love the grind. I can't explain to you like the thrill I get. So I like I told Vanessa like I wouldn't do that now because of the kids and the things. But right. I mean, this guy didn't care about pulling his kids out of their school, ripping them out of all their friendships, all their activities. Here we go to Hawaii. So the daughters, who are there's there's five daughters and one one uh, son, they all share nothing in common with where they went to school. Right. Because <laughs> they all went to different schools. <laughs> they were in high school, all different states. You remember how prom was? No, I don't. <laughs> and maybe that's why they run so far away from entrepreneurship. Maybe. I mean Maybe they're just like, please teach me to be a nurse. <laughs> I want a job. A
3: bad taste in their mouth.
1: <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that hopefully Sean, has that answered all your questions today?
3: Yeah, yeah. This has been really helpful. Thank you.
1: Okay, well that's a, a special edition of the, uh, uh, of the Thrive Time show, the Ask Clay Anything podcast here because today we had a member of our business coaching team that could ask us any question, but I want to make sure that the listeners know on our next podcast, uh, we had uh, an an individual who teaches tumbling. He teaches gymnastics and tumbling and and he he had the audacity to uh, hope for a better future and he started his own company. Two years ago, and he is doing great. But he wants to know how do I take it to the next level? How do I go from it being a job? A job stands for just over broke. How do I go from it being a just over broke where I'm doing it all myself to being a business that is scalable? And I, I am super excited to answer his questions as we talk about how to build a scalable gym. I've helped a lot of gyms do this, and I'm telling you the, the proven system works. And uh, guys, we like to end with a boom. So without any further ado, three,
2: three two, two, one, boom. boom!